Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, we're talking about the CPI, GDP, PREFU, and other economic acronyms. And while New Zealanders are busy trying to work out whose spin on the numbers comes closest to the truth... Economic growth is returning, the government's books are heading back into surplus and we're winning the battle against inflation. Uh, And there is real reason for optimism about the future of the New Zealand economy. What's clear is right now the economy isn't working for Kiwis. Treasury has confirmed that six years of Labour's economic mismanagement will continue to hit Kiwis in their back pocket. Are we missing the massive shadow of China hanging over our economy? Falling prices in China in combination with rising prices in New Zealand could spell some weird trouble for us. China's economy fell into deflation yesterday. Question is, how is that going to impact us? This election, we're all thinking about the cost of living, about money, how much we don't have and how much we might have if the party's various tax policies come to fruition. But the New Zealand Herald's business editor at large, Liam Dan, says all the tax promises could go out the window if the incoming government faces a revenue shock along the lines of the Asian financial crisis in 1997. If you're looking at it from a sort of a um, nervous, fiscally conservative um, economic position, you sort of think, why is now the time for tax cuts? We're going to visit that issue a bit later on, but first I'm going to get Liam to spell out the meaning behind the financial terms we're hearing a lot about right now. What are the most important ones? Well, I mean, everything's political, right? So how much you care about some of these things may depend on how you view an economy. But CPI is the Consumer Price Index, which is the tool we use to measure inflation. So the index is sometimes called a basket of goods. So StatsNZ has a basket of goods they think the average Kiwi would buy on a regular basis, and it measures the prices across time for those goods. So what's in that, like a bottle of milk and a... All, all the basics, so, so your groceries, your food, um, cars, almost everything except the family home, which is annoying to some people because that means we don't sort of count house price inflation as inflation, even though it's probably the biggest cost everyone faces. It's quite interesting. It changes over time, the, the basket. Every three years or so, they review it and CDs will be out, vinyl records will be back in, that kind of thing. Oh, so it's um, even like entertainment stuff uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, um, vapes went in recently. So it's meant to be a snapshot of society. So they use that to get a sense of how much basically inflation there is in the economy, which is just how much prices are are rising. The other part of inflation is they also measure wages and labour costs, and that gives us the other side, which is how much more money we're getting to get a picture of how much inflation there is in the economy. Mm -hmm. So cost of living rising is pretty much the equivalent of saying inflation is rising, or is it more complicated? No, I I think it's a good proxy. In the media, well, we do talk about inflation, we do talk about CPI, but more often than not, politicians and media headlines these days want to talk about the cost of living crisis or not. Cost of living crisis, four words that seem to have dogged the government in recent months. How long will this cost of living crisis last? It's no secret the cost of living has been hitting everyone hard, with Stats New Zealand confirming that food prices are at an all-time 14-year high. Cost of living is something everyone can relate to. Everyone always thinks it's getting worse, and obviously these have not been good times for inflation in the past, say, year and a half or two years. We've seen it spike up. Inflation has hit 6.9%, the biggest movement since 1990. Now, hopefully, starting to ease back to the target, which we like to think is between 1% and 3%, and that's what the Reserve Bank's aiming for. 
Okay, and then we've got GDP, you know, gross domestic product. Had to think about this. <laughs> yeah, well, gross domestic product is everything we do and produce in the economy that controversially are things that economists have decided they want to count. Uh, it's still a useful measure for just, you know, really understanding how much um, activity there is in the economy in terms of how much we're making, producing, uh, spending amongst ourselves, and basically just how much activity there is in the economy. So that's what that is. As a top-line figure, like total GDP, it can be a bit meaningless too, unless you sort of look at it maybe on a per capita basis. That gives you an idea of your, of how the average person might be going in terms of um, becoming more wealthy. So GDP per capita is affected by obviously the large number of people coming into the country. So we can have GDP going up, but if there's a lot more people in the country, average it out, we might not be individually any more wealthy. And then you've got those other things that aren't really as common to hear about, like the current account, balance of payments. Yeah, well, current account's kind of a subset of balance of payments. What that is, is, is our interactions, our financial interactions with the world. I kind of think of it as a current account or a cheque account with the world. It's our operating account, how much money's coming in, how much money's going out. A lot of that comes from exports and imports, so it's just a, a straight measure of um, how much have we exported versus how much have we imported, but it also includes financial transactions and financial payments. So that means, unfortunately, in this country, for example, almost all the banks, the big four banks uh, owned internationally, a lot of our corporates, even, even the big telcos, uh, have foreign ownership for most of their shares. So when, the, when they make profits, that money goes to international shareholders and that is a drain on the current account. So we're sort of starting on the back foot with our current account. Right now it's not looking good because we had a, a large period with um, no tourists coming in and that's one of the biggest ways we earn import dollars. And we managed to keep doing a pretty good job of buying stuff through the pandemic. So mm. we, we bought stuff, we didn't earn as much and the current account deficit has blown out to something like, uh, you know, 8% of GDP. And then just the other day, we had the preview come out, which kind of highlighted some of these things. What's that all about? Well, the, the preview is the pre-election uh, fiscal update is a kind of a device to open the government's books and make sure there's no surprises for any new incoming government. And it sort of dates back to the bad old days of the 80s when um, we didn't have one of those and the new government would come in and go, oh my God, the, the, the accounts are way worse than planned and scrap all their policy promises and that in theory can't happen. Now everyone gets to see its treasury's reveal of the, of the country's or the crown's financial position, including forecasts for the, for the wider economy. So, you know, treasury makes a whole bunch of assumptions about where the economy's going and they get used as a sort of a baseline to um, suggest how much, for example, how much tax revenue uh, a new government might expect over the next three or four years based on what Treasury thinks is going to happen to our GDP. Because if our GDP is strong, that means companies are making money, people may be uh, getting pay rises or businesses are making money, so they're paying more tax. And if GDP is weak, if we go into recession, then they're going to, there's going to be less tax coming in. So those forecasts matter in terms of what all the parties can sort of promise going into an election. So what is the kind of headline of the preview? I mean, we've got two completely different stories. It depends who you listen to. I mean, Labour say, oh, look, it's better than we expected. We've got to be optimistic. You know, there's definitely signs of optimism. National saying, oh, it just shows you how much uh, Labour's mismanaged the economy. And you're kind of stuck there wondering what the truth is. 
Yeah, and people say it's worse or better than expected. It depends a lot on your expectations. The narrative is broadly the same. We had COVID. We chose to keep the borders closed and stimulate the economy through that. We did that, and it cost a lot of money, and we had to borrow to get through it, and now the accounts look worse than they did. How much worse probably depends on how worried you feel about debt generally. I do worry about you know the, the risk of the current account getting too big and the, the debt getting too big, but you know, you've got to keep it in perspective. I talked to a couple of international economists in the past week and they both look at me and go, oh, look, your, your, your current account's bad, but at least your government debt is relatively low. The people who sort of make or break us in the world, whether we like it or not, unfortunately, because we're a very small country, are the uh, global ratings agencies and the financial markets. So, you know, your S&P, your Moody's, your Fitch, they hold a lot of sway. If they turned against us and said things were really bad, then your currency traders all around the world would go sell, 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 and our dollar would plummet. This has happened in countries like Greece and Argentina and things over the years. So I tend to look to them, uh, certainly tend to look to them as opposed to looking to um, politicians or people who have a vested interest in this thing. Um, they are pretty relaxed. They've highlighted, you know, there are some issues with the current account and the debt's bigger, but they all have maintained strong credit ratings for the country and see us coming through it. As long as we sort of keep doing the right things and don't just you know ignore some of those underlying issues that um, could become problems but we're sort of a couple of steps away from them being really bad problems. Mm. Were we supposed to be in a recession? I mean that's kind of what the Reserve Bank wanted. What do you make of commentary yesterday in response to your announcement that you are deliberately engineering a recession? Uh, I think that is correct. But you get these some of the parties saying, oh, look, we're so behind because we're in a recession. We're one of the only countries in a recession. We're the only country in the whole of the Asia-Pacific region now in an economic recession. And with that comes a rising risk of unemployment. That's kind of what we wanted, wasn't it? Yeah, the narrative doesn't really suit the politicians. We wanted a downturn. We want inflation to come out. But but look, it, it is a bit of a mystery around the world or one of the curious things about what's happened in this economic cycle is that, uh, yeah, we have seen a downturn, but we haven't really seen inflation or unemployment. Unemployment hasn't risen massively, and inflation hasn't come down very fast. Basically, it wasn't sort of a real recession in the sense that we would normally think of one where people are losing their jobs um, and nobody's spending money. It was a technical recession, and, and that's a sort of a weird term. We sort of say a technical recession is two quarters of negative growth, which is means two quarters of economy shrinking, which it did just. It sort of plateaued, and it was technically uh, went backwards at, at the top line, but underneath people still had jobs, so they still had money. So um, you know, it, it hasn't felt like a recession yet. And in fact, this week on Thursday, we get new data. And at this point, most of the economists think we will have bounced out of a recession and we'll be in growth again. And then just to complicate it further, most economists think that uh, there is probably still a real recession, like the kind that actually does see unemployment rise coming up later okay. in the year or early next year. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and, and you can see how at that point, oh, this isn't a clean, simple economic narrative that is easy to shout about on the campaign trail. So it's easier for politicians just to talk about cost of living and recession and, and not get too deep into the um, nuances of what all the economists are, are speculating about. Give us your honest opinion, right? If you had to give us like a out of 10, where would you see the New Zealand economy sitting in terms of its health at the moment? It's below average, so I'd, I'd give it a four or something. 
it's not disastrous. And if you see it in context as part of a cycle um, and you believe that we are going to follow the right policies to get it back on track. I don't think there's too much reason to worry. You just Some... used back on track there. <laughs> get yeah, New Zealand yeah. back on track. <laughs> Let's get our country back on track. Yeah, um, well, I think that's the politics of it, isn't it? I yeah. mean, whether you believe, uh, which party you believe is committed to doing that or whether you think there's too much risk in um, in one party or the other. But, you know, we made choices and you make a choice to, you know, fund the economy through a pandemic. It's like we, we put it on the credit card, we borrowed, and so there's a cost and you've got to, got to rebalance it or you're going to find yourself going backwards further and further. So there's uh, a great deal of debate and I suppose it's one of the themes of this election is, is how much we need to take emergency action to balance things up and actually neither National or Labour is talking about radical reforms to um, fix up all the fiscal debt issues overnight Act is more so but it's not it's not a return to sort of the early 90s when uh, National came in and, and really had to slash and burn we're not nobody's at least National Labour neither party's really talking about austerity at this point in fact we've still got them both parties talking about tax cuts, which really just makes the job harder. So you've got Labour talking about GST, is that Yeah, it's not, it's not a huge one on the Labour side, you know, but, but removing GST on fresh fruit and veg. Cutting GST from fruit and vegetables will ease the pressure on, fa- on families at the checkout while we get through this current inflation recycle. And you've got National talking about actual tax cuts, or I suppose you could say bracket shifting the brackets on um, on income tax. Under National, the party says an average income household with kids would get a $250 increase per fortnight, an average household with no kids an additional $100, and a superannuitant couple up to $26 a fortnight. Both of those things are technically inflationary. If you're giving people money back right now and they spend it, it will go into the economy and it'll be inflationary and it's government money, it's basically borrowed money, so unless you can find that money somewhere and I know that's a there's a big debate right now about whether nationals numbers add up and whether they can find the money to do that they say they can through um, uh, some other taxes that they'll put on foreign buyers of homes and things. When it comes to National's tax plan, Christopher Luxon reckons he's rock solid. I am rock solid. We are rock solid. We are absolutely rock solid. It's rock solid. But either way, you know, if you're looking at it from a sort of a um, nervous, fiscally conservative um, economic position, you sort of think, why is now the time for tax cuts? Maybe promise them in a year or so. Let's let's get the um, the numbers around the debt and the current account heading in the right direction, and then and then do it. What direction could we head in instead? What would lead to um, making the current account a bit more healthy? Well, I mean, you'll hear it from politicians. They'll say, um, "Oh, we're going to boost productivity." You know what, Jack? I think what most people are seeing is that we've got an economy where mm. productivity's in the tank. That's a lot hanging on that word. They mean we're going to make the economy more efficient and businesses are going to be more successful at making and doing things and there'll be more creativity and and, and, and more real economic growth, by which we mean things that you make and sell rather than just borrowing to fund growth. New Zealand has tended to rely on growth and tourism, growth and dairy exports to China, and then we've relied on um, high net migration, people coming into the country, and th- the wealth effect of rising house prices making consumers feel like they're wealthier, even though that sort of just adds to the size of mortgages and bank profits. So those have been the levers, and you'd have to hope that there was some goal there to, I guess, um, 
create new industries, develop our tech sector, refine the tourism sector to to make more money out of it without just bringing in more people. Similarly, you know, are the ways that we can extract more value from all our food exports without just putting more cows on paddocks and that kind of thing. Look, if you dig into the party's policies, they'll have things there. Um, it's just that uh, they tend to go on the back burner when they get front-facing in front of crowds. It's cost of living and uh, all that stuff again. It's all the basics, isn't it? You know, it's all those uh, sound bites that we want to hear. Yeah, you know. and I mean, I beat up on politicians a fair bit for that, but and so do a lot of economists. But in the end, they're doing what they do to get elected. Um, so you've got to go. Well, it's it's the public and the population in a way uh, that you know we have to take responsibility ourselves for how we um, want to live and how we want the economy, economy to be run and what we're prepared to tolerate. That's the domestic economy, but what about the elephant in the room? Well, I mean, I've, I've written about China slowing down, and, and that's partly because, you know, we sit sit there in the uh, newsroom and read all this international copy, uh, and, and, you know, all we're hearing from all the business media is that, wow, China is not coming back to the kind of growth that was expected. 2023 was meant to be the year that China's economy roared back to life after years of COVID restrictions and lockdowns. Instead, the $18 trillion economy is slowing. It's got some structural economic issues. And um, where in the past they've kind of dealt with these slowdowns with massive stimulus campaigns themselves, you know, just just, uh, dropping interest rates and pumping up property spending, they've done so much of that. I think uh, the leadership in China knows that they can't keep doing it, and they seem to be toughing it out this time. They're prepared to run lower growth and try and let some of the structural issues resolve themselves. Some of them are similar issues to New Zealand, just on a massively large scale. People have got very wealthy investing in property there, but they've got huge debt issues. And now they've started to get some of the structural issues coming in that um, we've seen in places like Japan, where Mm. um, they had deflation this year, for example. Consumer prices declined in July for the first time in more than two years. People and businesses are not spending, and the world's second largest economy is struggling to revive demand. Consumers don't feel confident. Property prices have come off. Um, People have high debt, so they're not spending, and they're saving their money and that's causing the economy to to slow or you know China's big it still still grows but it's so it's not sort of a a shrinking of the economy but just growing below 5% a year is um considered quite sort of uh, radical. That's not considered deflation, is it? Deflation is just the opposite of inflation. So mm. that, that means that in, briefly in China, they saw prices for consumer goods going down uh, rather than up. It's always hard to explain why deflation is bad because everyone thinks, oh, well, prices going down, that can't be so bad. But if prices are going down, then companies are making less money. It's, a, it's effectively a sign that the economy is kind of contracting. Now, there's a whole bunch of other big, big stuff going on in China that means it's never quite... Um, in a top-line recession, but uh, that brief period of deflation shocked uh, a lot of people and really brought home that China is um, not going to be the sort of economic engine that drives the growth for the world out Mm. of the pandemic. So it's not in recession... It's, it's just, not in recession. It's but, back in growth now. Yeah, it's it's expected to grow, but compared to what we're used to in relative terms, that's that's coming off quite a bit. And the, the trends inside China are that consumers are feeling like that is recessionary. And so the upshot of all that is, um, you know, we, we're seeing that affect um, commodity prices. And, you know, so, uh, you know, it's not such a big deal for America now if China growth slows because they've sort of pulled away a bit. But New Zealand is utterly reliant on um, exports to China for a huge part of its export earnings, mostly through dairy. Dairy prices crashed overnight. 
to a four and a half year low with prices falling 7.4% to an average price of 2875 US dollars per tonne. Now the price of whole milk powder, which is the most influential on Fonterra's farm gate price, that crucial farm gate price, that fell 10.9%. But also logs and, and some meat and uh, you know, some other products. And they've come off a lot. So this is um, another reason we've started to see some concerns. People worry that if they keep going and export prices keep falling, that's another lot of pressure on our current account and less money coming into New Zealand. Uh, and again, so that was more recessionary, less tax money available because farmers will be making less money, uh, flows through the rural economy, uh, shops in the rural economy is making less money, less tax. The answer really is to diversify our export markets, but it's not just that simple. There are plenty of other markets and it would be good to be more diversified, but the exports are done by companies and having a government tell you to diversify is one thing, but actually doing it, you've got to follow the best price. So Weirdly, the thing that will help us diversify away from China is, is not getting good prices out of China. And if that happens for long enough, uh, it will self-correct and, and we'll find other markets. But uh, if it happens quickly and suddenly, it can be a real shock to the economic system. I mean, you know, there'll be listeners who are old enough to remember 1973 when... Um, the UK joined um, the European Union or the European Economic Community or whatever it was then. Um, and that was a massive shock to the New Zealand economy because suddenly, uh, uh, you know, we, we had all our eggs in the export to um, the UK basket. And um, when they joined Europe, there was tariffs on everything. So that market suddenly became far less lucrative to us and we didn't quite know what to do for a while. In fact, that was sort of where all the economic problems of the 70s started for us. And in terms of the promises that are being set by politicians this election, as you say, they're mostly tax cuts, aren't they? I mean, is that a good idea when we've got problems with China looming? I think this election, you've got political parties very focused on the cost of living and how they're going to still help people with that and tax cuts as part of that. Um, and that's sort of dealing with the here and now. It's also kind of dealing with problems that we've had for the last year and a half or, or two years and that are starting to resolve. So if you can, if you sort of step back and look at the bigger economic picture, it looks like we won't have the inflation problems a year or so from now, we're more likely to have demand problems or recessionary problems. I guess it's a case of bad timing. It's hard to expect anyone to win an election talking about the sort of more abstract economic solutions they've got for the for the economy like a year and a half from now when people are sort of complaining about the price of a, of a lettuce. But um, it, it is going to be an issue. The policies that we're debating and promising on right now are not the ones that are probably needed for, uh, say, a year and a half from now, which is OK if whoever wins the election is able to be flexible and adjust and um, take the public with them on that. Uh, yeah, but there is a risk there. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poek. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Liam Dan. Ka kite anu.